As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And on today's episode, I'm very excited to chat with my friend, and really one of the leaders of the biohacking movement, Dave Asprey. Dave is, in a sense, the godfather of the biohacking movement. You know, he brought concepts like ketosis and intermittent fasting into the mainstream. He also built a massive company, Bulletproof, on the back of his butter, coffee, slash MCT oil products. He's the author of numerous New York Times bestselling books, The Bulletproof Diet, his first, Game Changers, and his most recent book, Superhuman. And he's also a Silicon Valley investor and former computer scientist who spent the last two decades and more than a million dollars to hack his own biology. Please enjoy my conversation with Dave Asprey. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, you Great to have Jeff. you here. I, I, uh, you were just complaining to me that your search results from Google are no longer um, uh, expansive enough for your tastes. It's kind of weird. Back in the day when Google was two guys in a server, they came to a company uh, called Exodus. I helped to co-found the consulting group within that company. And we held Google's first servers as they grew. <laughs> and the same for the Facebook and Yahoo when they were tiny, like all these things, like the first wave of, of what are now big internet companies. And I've watched the evolution from, look, this is like a library for the world and all this knowledge until a few years ago. It's like, oh, everyone gets different results based on what Google thinks you want to see. And that's actually kind of useful. But now it, it's you get results based on what they want you to see. And it's no longer a library. It's a, a system that's doing something different. So, so you're, say, you're, pro, you're pro semantic search results that are customized to your interests and desires. You just don't think theirs are that particularly good right now. I don't think they're that good. And I think I should be able to turn it off. So if instead sure. of saying, hey, here's what everyone is searching for, or here's what everyone wants to see, or here's the most popular sites like they used to do, they took all that data out and they say, here's what we're going to give you. And, and right now, if I do a search for what's going on in this space, uh, let's say I'm looking for some 
uh, exotic bacterial disease that I think is correlated with Alzheimer's. Uh, actually, it's, there's a viral connection there. Well, it used to be that if you search those things, you'd find it. But now, even if you search for a very well-crafted query, what they give you is, here's what the CDC, WHO, and some mainstream Reader's Digest level things wants to tell you if you have no ability to do research. So suddenly, I stopped using Google as my default search engine, which I thought I would never do. (laughs) Um, I have one of the coolest Gmail addresses ever because I was one of the first guys on the system. I'm not going to say what it is because I'll get full of spam. But all that stuff's happening. I'm like, what's going on, guys? Just let me get access to good queries again. And what is your search engine of choice? I just have to know. I'm using DuckDuckGo. And you know what's crazy? Everyone sees the same results. And it actually works. And I search for Lyme disease, aflatoxin, toxic mold, and, you know, Bartonella. And I'm going to get results that an intelligent human would read. And if I go to... Uh, Google, they're going to give me the results out of, frankly, stuff that's not even relevant anymore. But it's it's like, here's what uh, some you know medical encyclopedia says that's been approved by everyone, even though everyone who treats the conditions knows it's wrong. And you could listen to this and say, Dave, what are you talking about? The deal is, it's okay. You have search queries just like that. And I don't know what you're talking about, but you should have the ability to get good results. And I'm not getting them anymore. I get it. And I think most people uh, are totally happy with the results they're getting from the search engines they use. I still am like, a, you know, apparently a caveman and I'm on, you know, Google search. The point of the podcast wasn't the bash Google hour either. I know I'm not trying to bash Google at all. I, I'm just, I'm, I love Google. It, it's like, guys, go back to that thing where, yeah, I know you have large investments in pharmaceutical companies and things like that, uh, but Give me a setting so I can say, treat me like an adult or show me what everyone's searching for, even if you don't think it's in my best interest. Thank you very much. I'm, you know, I'm the daddy here, not you. Well, and Dave, I think that, you know, to rewind, this is a great, you know, uh, segue into what you were doing before uh, you got into Bulletproof and you built the Bulletproof companies and put, you know, biohacking and ketosis culturally on the map, as far as, you know, I'm my experience. Uh, I think that's accurate. Yeah. I think that this is such an interesting, you know, window into how you were already thinking about stuff. You're like, man, I really do need to just for my own self-interest research this toxin that could or could not be correlated with Alzheimer's. It's really funny because Google was a massive disruptive force and so is social media. And so before that was Fairchild Semiconductor. Like like this is the history of tech where I built a lot of my career. I didn't know that, by the way. Believe it or not, Jeff, the first product ever sold over the internet was sold out of my dorm room. And it was a t-shirt that said caffeine, my drug of choice. And it was an entrepreneur magazine when I was 23. There was no web browser and there was no word for e-commerce yet. but that is probably, and according, I mean, at the time, I was two days ahead of the guys who became wine.com, but I think it's the first e-commerce on the planet. At the time, I was just trying to make rent. Like I was studying computer science. <laughs> Many of our listeners are, are well aware of you and your work and your podcast and books and products. I you know, want to give them the benefit of you know, those that aren't as familiar with your origin story. Do you mind giving us a bit of the background sure. on how you got into this world? So I, I mentioned that that picture in Entrepreneur Magazine when when I'm, I was a kid. That was also my proof of fat picture because I weighed about 280 pounds in that picture. I'd been as high as 300 pounds in my sophomore year of college. 
Uh, I weigh about 200 pounds. I'm 10.3% body fat right now. I exercise less than anyone listening to this probably <laughs> because there are ways to exercise that are very, very efficient in terms of time. And I also am never hungry and I don't diet. I do eat the Bulletproof diet. People have lost a million pounds on the Bulletproof diet, but I eat amazing, delicious food and I'm full all the time. Uh, and I practice intermittent fasting. In fact, my book, uh, the first New York Times bestseller I wrote in 2014 uh, called The Bulletproof Diet, uh, it is the first major book to talk about intermittent fasting. And it's one of, I would say, The Bulletproof Diet helped to put ketosis on the radar. And if you go back on Google Trends, you'll actually see there's a little tiny blip in searches for keto, which were almost zero on right when the blog was launched. The idea here is after many years of, of being fat and having had arthritis in my knees since I was a teenager and all these weird medical and health conditions, I went out and I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and I hacked it and I fixed it. And then I was like, wait a minute, why would I stop there? How do I get even smarter? And today I run 40 Years of Zen, which is an advanced neuroscience institute where people go and spend five days hacking their brains with custom hardware and software and some of the common nootropics that a lot of your listeners do know about, uh, like modafinil. I was on Nightline almost 10 years ago. I was the only guy who wouldn't put a bag on my head. And I said, yeah, I went to Wharton taking modafinil. This is a smart drug that actually works according to real data. Uh, and so there's a whole new subculture of people who use nootropics. And if you search the history of that, I've been waving that flag <laughs> from the very beginning of the modern one. And there was a group in the 80s who said, we're going to live forever. And there's a group in the 80s who said, we're going to take smart drugs. I learned from those guys, the masters, the elders of that were my teachers and mentors in the anti-aging nonprofit group in Silicon Valley that I ran. And the way that you, and the way that you access that, I love this part of your story, is that you, you went and you visited with senior citizens, people that were yeah. in their 80s and 90s who were still doing incredible cognitive feats, correct? That was, that was the heart of the research. Yeah, it was really funny. It was like a couple blocks from where I worked, this this group in Silicon Valley. It's uh, called the Silicon Valley Health Institute now. I ended up becoming chairman and uh, and for many years, I spent a lot of a lot of energy. But I was going in. I'm you know late twenties, and there's people in there who are eighty eight and they have more energy than I do for real. And they're just doing these things and they were aging backwards, and they were like masters of hacking the human body. So, I'm a computer hacker by training and by by nature. I had my first computer when I was eight. It was a pre-DOS computer called a CPM computer. All right, you want a real origin stories, Jeff? Sure. When yes. my mom was pregnant with me, she was the first employee of the company that became Microsoft. It was called MIPS. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She, she answered phones half time for Bill Gates and Ed Roberts and Paul Allen. Uh, and Ed Roberts bought my crib. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no so joke. Were, this is real. She didn't get stock options. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, so I'm like, I, I was born into this kind of stuff. It's crazy. So anyway, the, this tech stuff was, was a big part of what I was doing. So I've grown up hacking. And how do you do it? How do you make it? How do you do it differently? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, these old people. And I say old people as in my elders, the people who are the bearers of the torch of knowledge, not old people as in some people think that's disrespectful. No, old people have wisdom. They know, they know where the bodies are buried and they know where the good hunting grounds are. So these old people are taking me in and they're showing me, oh, my God, you can hack the human body the way that I grew up to hack networks and to hack 
uh, you know, the internet and to build N plus one horizontal scaling and to teach how to do that at the University of California. I'm like, I missed it. It's the body that we can hack. And I just went all in on that as my hobby and as my passion and to survive. And I said, we need a name for this. And that name is biohacking. And that's why it's now a word in Merriam-Webster's dictionary in 2018. They added it to the English language and my name's there in the definition. It's crazy because that wasn't my intent. (laughs) On the origin story, you know, it'd be like, oh, this is a fad. This is a trend. There's no need for butter in your coffee. The sort of simplification of... Of, of you know the movement that you're so adherently behind um, and and your response was hey I'm happy to be a part of a four thousand year old trend um, and so I'd love <laughs> if you give the listeners a bit of the backstory there you know like I know that you had your first you know buttered beverage sure. in, a, in a really uh, cinematic setting and I, and I'd love for you to bring us to, to now because I'm sure it's something that you still deal with every day oh yeah I'd lost a bunch of the weight uh, and I had tried all kinds of diets and and I went you know, I'd lose 20 pounds, gain 30, lose 30, gain 40. And I tried Zone, I tried Atkins. And Atkins actually worked really well. You could lose 50 of your 100 pounds on the Atkins diet. The other 50 will never go away. Uh, and that was that other 50 is basically why I had to write the Bulletproof Diet. It was That one took years. And I, tr- I was actually a raw vegan before I went off to Tibet. And I, I got really into that. And it, it actually broke my thyroid, gave me a bunch of health conditions, some of which I've almost done getting rid of. Uh, but being a plant-only eater comes with a downside that people don't talk about. At least most people don't. I'm pretty open about it. What I, I did is I went to Tibet and I still wasn't all the way recovered, but I was like just so thankful that I had enough biology if I pushed myself uh, that I could do this. And I beat the crap out of my knees. I descended 7,500 vertical feet in one day. And the next morning I woke up, I couldn't walk just because my my knees were so bruised from that. And I had seven days to recover while I rode on a bus before I was going to go to Mount Kailash, which is the holiest mountain in all of, uh, probably all the world, just by, by virtue of people who consider it the home of their of their gods and talking Hindu, Hinduism and Buddhism and the bone religion. And I just wanted to go to this place. It's a five-day drive in a four-wheel, uh, four-wheel drive uh, vehicle in the middle of nowhere. And you walk this 26-mile high-altitude trek. And it, I just, I'd read about it in Outside Magazine or something years ago, and it just kind of clicked. They're like, I should do this. So I'm damaged. I can't walk. And I knew because of all these old people I've been hanging out with, I just need building blocks to fix my knees. And I pull up at this little roadside restaurant. And roadside restaurants, you imagine Taco Bell. No, there's three buildings in this town. They're all made out of mud, and all of them cook their food over burning yak dung. I'm talking the sticks. There's a menu, and a guy, and it was in Chinese. And one of the guys with me spoke English and Chinese. And I said, can you read the menu to me? And the only thing on the menu that had collagen, which is what your knees are made out of, basically, it was pig's ears. So I had this huge bowl of pig's ears, which is a horrible experience. And they were cold. (laughs) And so the next morning, though, I could walk. Like my body just needed the raw materials. And so now I'm able to walk, but I'm still really tired. It's 18,000 feet elevation. And I'm kind of zombified, to be honest. Mm. And... I'm really feeling crappy at the end of the first day on this three-day walk through this middle of nowhere, majestic things. And this little Tibetan woman, I saw the picture of her somewhere on the website. Uh, she hands me this bowl of yak butter tea. Okay, it's yak butter mixed with tea. And these, these Tibetan people have been doing this for thousands of years. And it makes zero sense. Okay, they have no running water. And every morning, what they eat, and these people are 
five times more powerful than I am on a, on a per pound basis. They can lift heavier things than me and they weigh one third of what I weigh and they can run circles around me. I, I mean, they're, they're superhumans in the very literal word of this. And they're doing it in a place with no oxygen. And for breakfast, they have Sampa. It's barley flour mixed with yak butter and tea. And they drink a little bit of yak butter tea and then they kick my ass all day long. It's unbelievable. So I'm like, why would they mix the butter into the tea every morning instead of just eating the butter and drinking the tea? But no, the the rich Tibetans, these are ones with two yaks, literally would have a car battery hooked up to a blender. This was before you could recharge things the way you can today. So they would carry this weight around with them just so they could save time blending the butter. But it was it was required. Anyway, she gave it to me and my brain turns on and I said, this doesn't make any sense. I'm really noticing this. And it was that little, hey, how am I doing right now? And I came back to Silicon Valley after that, that trip. And I put butter and tea and it didn't work. And I started playing with types of butter and types of tea. And I looked at coffee and I quit coffee for five years because coffee would make me want to either punch people or go to sleep an hour or two after I had it. And I realized it's toxins in the coffee. It's not the coffee itself. So let's fast forward a few years from now, just observation. I didn't like blending pig's ears in my coffee. So collagen is a thing right now, Jeff. It's a big category. I made yeah. collagen a category because of those pig's ears. And I made butter in coffee a category based on thousands of years of tradition. And I funded research at University of Washington with $50,000 to show the water chemistry of why blending butter into any liquid, at least water-based liquid, creates a change in the water. And those Tibetans, they couldn't tell you any of this. They knew from this thing called science, which is when you observe, hypothesize, and test. And they hypothesize, hey, if I blend this, or if I do it in a butter churn, every morning, even if it's extra work for me, that I feel better. The reason is when you mix butter into coffee or tea, it changes water chemistry so that your body doesn't have to heat up water in order to use the water to make ATP in your cells. I didn't know that. I just know I drank it. I felt good. And I launched a company. We raised $70 million. Uh, we've done, at this point, probably about 200 million cups of Bulletproof coffee and counting. And it's changed a lot of people's lives and their brains. And who would have thought? We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. 
It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, if it was easy to build major beverage, uh, nutraceutical companies, everybody would do it. And it's, it's, you've built an amazing company and you're now at a point where, you know, I think it's been what, six months, seven months where it's the first time you haven't been, you know, the CEO of that enterprise, correct? It might even be like 10 months, something like that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I decided to hire a CEO for the company and here's the deal. I could be a really good CEO of a cloud computing company. At least I could have been because I spent, I built my career you know, doing cloud computing, computer security, network engineering stuff. Uh, I had the relationships. At this point, I've spent the last, whatever, eight, nine years in biohacking and human performance and coffee and consumer packaged goods. But I've never been a senior level executive or CEO of a $100 million company in the space that I'm in right now. So I could say, you know, I've got a great ego. Uh, so I want to be in charge and I'm just going to make my investors and my employees and my shareholders and my customers pay for all my mistakes. Or I could hire someone who's already made those mistakes on someone else's dollar somewhere else. <laughs> so that's my mindset. I am, yeah. uh, I am our largest uh, common shareholder by a, a very large, uh, very large margin. I'm in a good position, but by being chairman and founder and flag waiver, it's actually cool because now I can talk about stuff on my blog. That's why I've moved my blog content to daveasprey.com. And mm-hmm. it's there. There's almost a college degree's worth of, of time in terms of lectures and reading materials, not, not lectures, but podcasts and videos and all. Uh, and it's all free. I moved it there because it makes it free for me to talk about microdosing LSD and to talk about smart drugs or, or stem cells. People who go to Bulletproof, they're interested in coffee, collagen, prebiotics, and, and the very 
you know, the, the very basic, like, how do I make this stuff work? And people who are coming over to what I want to talk about, it's broader. But I started Bulletproof to share the knowledge that I gained from my elders, the stuff that had changed my life, the stuff that no one told me when I was 19 or 25 or 35 that would have saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars in years of suffering. <laughs> and like, if only someone yeah. had told me, imagine where my life would be. Uh, so I, just, I don't want other people to go through what I went through. You often talk about the four killers. Will you walk us through that a little bit? This is uh, in my most recent book uh, called Superhuman. And it, it's my first book to hit the New York Times list for more than one week. A lot of, it, it's hard to hit the list at all. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it, was, uh, it was only for two weeks. <laughs> it's not like the 50 shades of not giving a F about making the bed. If I could just have written that book, uh, I'm sure it would be on the list for like 200 weeks straight. But anyway, Superhuman is all about how I'm planning to live to at least 180. And there is great evidence that that is possible, and I'm happy to, to talk through it. But the first step to that in that book is like, hey, if you want to live a long time, longer than Mother Nature wants and longer than people think you can, the first step would be don't die. So let's just look at the odds. What's going to kill you? And there's four killers that are likely to kill most people listening to this, which is a bit of a downer. I'm sorry about that. Um, the first one that I'll talk about is diabetes because it happens uh, to so many people. Many people have it years before they know or they have prediabetes, which is actually exactly the same as diabetes. It's just early stage diabetes. That is a, something that increases your risk of the other three killers dramatically. And those are cancer, heart disease, and Alzheimer's disease. And if you can do things to avoid those your odds of having a healthy, highly functional life for a very long time goes up dramatically. When it comes to aging like that, most people think of being old as wheelchairs, diapers, not remembering your own name, putting your car keys in the fridge, and all the sort of things that are uncomfortable that we don't want to talk about, and probably dying in a hospital. That is an aberration throughout all of history. Uh, that is not what old age looks like. Our village elders, generally, if they didn't get killed by something like an infectious disease or an arrow, uh, would uh, surprisingly have pretty good health until they died. And that's what I want to do. I would like to die at a time and by a method of my choosing. And since I know today we can do 120 years because I've seen it done. And <laughs> those people, let's go back 120 years. Let's see, World War I was happening. If they could do 120, they started out, we were fighting wars on horseback when they were born. They, they had no tech and they made it to 120. They couldn't spell ATP or mitochondria, antibiotics and all that stuff. With our tech and heck with Google, and here, go Google, right? You and I and everyone listening has access to more information more quickly than a king or a president would at any time in human history going back more than about 30 years. Literally, with an army of, of researchers and everything at your disposal, you could not get as much information as you and I can get for free. And it's awesome. Yeah. That alone, plus so many of my friends, some of the anti-aging world, the people I've worked with for 20 years, they are, they've been diligently cracking the code on what I call the, the seven pillars of aging, things we understand are, are causing us to age. And there's stuff you can do right now. And that's why I felt called to write a book about it, partly so I would do the research for myself, because to write a book, you have to really go deep. Uh, but also just to show, to show everyone, look, we are facing a world where some of us are going to live way longer than we think. And the definition of old age 
has already shifted by more than 10 years. The definition of elder, the legal definition and the societal definition of an elder was 65. And going back about 10 years ago, it suddenly shifted and it shifted to 75. And when I say it shifted, it it wasn't just our perception of it. They were going based on something called grip strength. It turns out if you can squeeze something really hard, you're pretty young. And if you lose your grip, then you're getting old. Well, suddenly the grip strength of people in their 65s looked like people in their 55s years ago because we are getting healthier, because we are moving the the needle already. We just don't see it. Just like you don't see a a cloud that barely makes its way across across the sky over the course of a day or two. It's going to look like it's kind of just hanging there. You don't see the motion. But our longevity is moving right now, and we're about to hit this step change. And I plan to be there for that because I want to look and feel like I do now 50 years from now, imagine how much wisdom and knowledge that I'll have to give back and you'll have to give back. Old age doesn't look like we used to think it did. And you got to avoid dying of diabetes before then. I learned about this for the first time was the China study. Talk to me about like, if I'm, you know, on this journey and I'm, you know, I'm ready to like incorporate a few of the other core pillars. Like where, where is your head at right now? The things we have to do. I love it that you mentioned the the China study. I I read the China study. I was influenced by it. And I've written a a very logical, rational piece about it, just saying some of the core logical assumptions in the very first chapter underlie the mistake in the whole book, which is that because one form of animal protein uh, extracted from cow's milk increases inflammation and cancer, which it does. Therefore, all animal (laughs) products (laughs) increase cancer, which doesn't make sense because some plants will kill you. They're called poisonous plants and some won't kill you. And therefore all plants will kill you. Like the the logic doesn't work. That said, that book has has, uh, also been accused of cherry picking data and things like that. But like I said, I was a a devout raw vegan. I had the big blenders. I I can make an amazing vegan, whatever. Uh, So I'm yeah, I'm very willing to try this stuff. And I will tell anyone listening too, you want to go on a, on a vegan diet for a week. Uh, you need to make sure that it's a well-composed one without all the plant toxins you're probably eating. But if you do that, it'll actually help you live longer. And this is what the Atkins diet was with full respect to Robert Atkins, uh, who wrote a book that was published the year I was born that solved half of my problems. There he says, look, ketosis is good. Therefore, as long as it's not sugar, eat it. So you could eat garbage proteins that cause inflammation. You could eat artificial sweeteners that wreck your gut bacteria. And you can eat bad fats that, that make the wrong cell membranes grow in your body. So what people look like when they go on a dirty keto diet, which is a lot of people in ketosis right now, they're putting a milk protein isolate in their coffee because they don't know that it cancels out coffee's goodness and there's inflammation and stuff there. They'll lose 50 of the 100 pounds they have to lose and then they're stuck and they just walk around with this inflammation and they're saying, I know it works because I lost 50 pounds. If I could only eat even less carbs and I could only eat even more pork rinds and you get caught in, and I call it the keto trap. Uh, And the same thing, by the way, happens if you then, oh, it's not working. I'm just going to read the China study and I'll go fall into the vegan trap, which is, oh, I felt great for six weeks. Therefore, it works. And then you do it even harder and then you stop losing weight and it doesn't work. So you end up wanting to to do what I recommend in the Bulletproof Diet book is one day a week of protein fasting, which means you eat less than 15 grams of protein. And I don't care if it comes from a plant or an animal. The deal is when you restrict protein for one day, it turns on your body's self-repair mechanisms. Another very convenient way to turn on those self-repair mechanisms is don't eat anything for a day or two (laughs) or just eat fat. 
And this is where the intermittent fasting, like the, the snowball started to roll for that. With intermittent fasting, in the morning, you just don't eat breakfast. Or because we actually have brains and we'd like to power them and people who have jobs and, and live an intense life like an entrepreneur or a parent, well, we might not want to fast every single day, especially for women, because especially during certain portions of their cycle, uh, fasting is, is really hard to do and it doesn't help them. But what you can do is you can have only fat in the morning. And it turns out Bulletproof Coffee does have about six mechanisms for it. And look, I mentioned that 200 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee. It's not going to change my life, Jeff, if you or everyone listening to the show does or doesn't drink it. I'm not trying to sell you guys on it. What I'm uh, doing though, is I'm just saying in the morning, you want to get some ketones going and very small levels of ketones, 0.5 on a, on a finger stick uh, millimoles per, per liter, um, which is you know, barely turning a pea stick pink if you do peeing on sticks to see if you're in ketosis. Um, that is enough, according to research I published in that book, to lower your hunger hormone uh, which is called ghrelin, and increase your fullness hormone called CCK. So all of a sudden, you drink this stuff, you have fat that converts directly into energy that can't even be stored as fat. That's the brain octane oil that's part of the recipe. Coffee itself, the caffeine in coffee, doubles ketone production, according to studies that weren't published when I wrote the book. We just knew that it did something magic when you did it. Uh, so you do this, and all of a sudden, the morning bagel loses its siren call <laughs> and your focus goes way up. Oh, and I mentioned that thing about blending yak butter into tea. It turns out, yeah, putting butter in the coffee when you blend it, even if we're talking a half a teaspoon, some, some of the critics, uh, mostly fueled by uh, Joe Rogan's uh, attacks a few years ago, they'll say, oh, it has 400 calories. Like, Did you guys not read it? You put as much butter and oil in as your body weight and your energy demands. All you have to do is put in like a few drops and you get the kick. But it depends on what your body demand is. So it's entirely tunable what your calorie input is. Anyway, you do this and you're now telling your body in the morning, you woke up and now you have ketones. So your brain has the ability to make electrons, but you didn't turn on any of the systems that, that cause aging. This insulin thing, this digestion of protein, which if you're digesting food protein, you're not fixing your cells with the same enzymes. So it's a very detailed thing to do in the morning. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And I want to know as a parent, just, you know, uh, additionally, so I, what, what can, how can I do that for my kid in the morning? What should I be feeding? How old's your kid? He's two and a half, so I don't think we're doing bulletproof coffee. I'm going to tell you a really quick story because it's, it's funny, and I think uh, your listeners will like it. My daughter is one, okay? She's 13 now, so she was one. Uh, and... I was doing the the pre-bulletproof coffee, uh, the cleanest coffee I could find. I was still playing around with recipes and all. And I had some black coffee that was cooled down a bit. And you know, one-year-olds will reach out and grab everything, right? So, all right, you can have a sip. And I'm thinking to myself, she's not going to like this. She'll spit it out. And then when she's 18, she'll probably drink coffee. And I'm fine with that, whatever. So she she takes one sip and just looks at me and just fights me for it and starts trying to drink the whole cup. I'm like, that's not good. So I did a huge amount of research. My first book was on fertility and pregnancy, 1,300 references, how to have a smarter, healthier baby before you even get pregnant. So I, I know a thing or two about this space. And I dug in. And it turns out that kids metabolize caffeine twice as fast as adults. As you can see from every Coca-Cola that they consume versus you. Totally, right? Not that my kids have ever had a Coca-Cola. Uh, but I started them out, they, they got an ounce of Bulletproof coffee every morning. And the caffeine has no effect on them in, in the morning like that. But what it does do, coffee itself is a superfood. Like the, the data's in on that. You can try and argue that it stunts growth or something. No science, no evidence. But what the fats do for kids, oh my God, if you want sanity as a parent, Jeff, get butter, grass-fed butter and some brain octane oil into your kids' bodies. And they stop pestering you for sugar. It's it's 10% of what it was before. And their ability to just focus on their play and be present, it's, it's such a gift. And even in first grade, my daughter would come home and she'd say, daddy, I don't understand it. We get to school and then 
an hour later, they're telling us we have to eat. How, how come my friends are hungry? I don't understand it. Like I'm completely full. Like, didn't they get a breakfast? And, you know, it turns out some of her friends are getting a green apple for breakfast because that's, hey, trying to study, it's vegan. And the kids can't pay attention unless they eat all the time because they're getting fruity sugar bomb cereal breakfasts instead of getting what kids need. My kids eat smoked salmon, avocados. That story is fantastic because for me, it, it, it makes me think about, you know, how that attaches to my, my own history. I just always thought about nutritional equality in a sense, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, if you don't have the conditions to be able to learn, like if your brain isn't fed and you can't focus, you're out of the game before it even starts. Poor quality food will lower an adult's IQ for the day. And it's shown in studies. It, it is it is in part a function of how much energy your brain can make. And it's in larger part a function of how effectively and how efficiently your brain uses the energy it can create. But one of the, the neatest hacks of all is turn up your energy metabolism and your brain works better. <laughs> even if you haven't rewired it with neuroscience, even if you haven't meditated, uh, you know, even if you haven't trained your brain, all the other things you can do, just having more energy makes you faster. And it's proven. It, it's a it's a very straightforward thing to do, um, but what mm. what you're really talking about, Jeff, is is information filters, right? And so, it's who do you trust? There are a great number of people listening who say, "Oh, I trust the food pyramid." And like, if you do that, that's great. And I'm just going to say, "How's it working for you? How do you feel in the morning? And can you see your feet?" The odds are, if you trust yeah. that, your information filter source isn't very good. You can do what I did. I got so disgusted with my doctor telling me maybe you should eat healthy. I'm like, hey, asshole, I worked out an hour and a half a day, six days a week for 18 months straight, and I ate lettuce, and I was on a low-fat, low-calorie diet, and you're telling me to eat healthy, and maybe I should lose weight? Like, help, right? So I said, I'm just going to go do this myself. At a certain point, you just give up, and you say, all right, uh, I will only do what works, and I don't care if it's supposed to work. I will, I will track the data, and I will see if it works. Uh, and that was where I arrived at this, this algorithm for the Bulletproof Diet, which is stop doing the stuff that makes you weak, then do the stuff that makes you strong. And, you know, they tell you, oh, eat this because it has a nutrient. Hold on a second. If I gave you a bowl of, of multivitamins with some cyanide in it, like, oh, it's full of vitamin D, you should eat it. You would say, Dave, you're stupid. But most food blogs will tell you, eat kale because it's full of calcium or some crap. <laughs> they forgot the other side of it. So what you're doing is look at what's the ROI for everything you put in your mouth. And that means you look at the costs first, and then you look at the benefits. And there's two kinds of benefits from food. One is nutrients, and it's a secondary benefit because nutrients can come from pills. There's nothing wrong with that. But the first thing is it's not going to cause extra problems because you put it in your mouth. Then it's going to provide the kind of fuel that you want. This is electrons for energy, which is probably fat or slow-burning carbohydrates. And then does it have lots of nutrients? And if you just think about your food in that order and then you account for timing, you can actually transform how you look. You can have abs without actually doing anything. And that's the, the mindset. You're talking about filters though. So as an entrepreneur, what's your filter for looking at the numbers in your business? You probably have an accountant or you have a CFO or head of finance, or maybe you got good at that. You know, you went to a, a school for that or you just learned how to do it, 
right? Or maybe you're I have, more. I have, I have, par- I have partners I lean on. It, oh, you have partners. There you go. Those are your information filters, right? So one thing you could say is I have to learn everything there is to know about health. Well, you should have partners you rely on. You should have a functional medicine doctor who's a total badass who's going to look at you and be like, yeah, your thyroid is just a little bit low. You're technically within range, but based on your symptoms, let's just crank you up a little bit on your thyroid. And all of a sudden, man, I'm twice as productive as I was before. That's amazing. That's a nuance. And you should have people on the neuroscience side. You should have people on the nutrition side. And I'll just make a real straightforward argument at this point. Given how the Bulletproof Diet has transformed things, I have a good track record of being way ahead of the curve. Lots of papers have come out supporting the conclusions that I had in the Bulletproof Diet, explaining mechanisms that we didn't know. And, you know, New York Times science bestseller for Headstrong about the brain. I'll filter stuff for you because I like to filter because I was born to be an uh, an event correlation machine and I'll share my results and I do it for free on the blog and in the podcast all the time, mostly because I'm so pissed off that no one did that for me. Like we should have a manual for the human body and we don't. So I'll, I'll, I'll put my hat in the ring for that. And if I'm wrong or you just don't like it or there's someone who actually knows other stuff I don't know, add them to your filter list, compare things. And it's finding trustworthy people who, uh, who are generally right. And for every one of those, there's going to be about 100 people who copy the stuff from the people who are the creators, dumb it down and try and sell you stuff. And they'll sell you the Keto Bro program. All you have to do is take my Chinese-derived Keto whatever's not mentioning <laughs> all the other stuff or the interview with the guy who studied with Hans Krebs for 40 years who says that's bad for your mitochondria and all these things. And then they dumb it down and you find yourself eating peanut butter and NutraSweet and wondering why it doesn't work. Well, there's reasons. It's because it got dumbed down by people who didn't know the science themselves, but they know how to copy, paste, and then change the words a little bit. And that, that's rampant on the internet. I hate to change the subject completely, but I, I, I am just very curious. You know, you, you are very really good at calling these things early. What are some of the things that are risque today? You mentioned microdosing LSD or, you know, certain things like, you know, red light therapy where not many people really know about it or practice it. What are things that are fringe today that you think are going to be like dead bullseye for our self-care in five years? I will refer listeners to two books for a deeper summary, and then I'm going to list some things for you that are are really cool. For the brain specifically, the book Headstrong that I wrote goes really deep into the tech and food and things like that, practices that increase energy in the brain. And then the new anti-aging book has some of the other things like peptides and SARMs and, and things like that that are really useful. But one of the companies that I started is called Upgrade Labs. We have a couple locations in LA. And I've been buying this tech, and I'll list the tech in a second, and using it on myself to make my body do more than I knew that it could and to recover faster and things like that. Uh, And I started the company in LA and said, since I tested this million dollars worth of gear, why don't we put it somewhere where people can use it? And I'm about to open a location up here in Victoria, British Columbia, where I live, uh, mostly so I can share what I have with other people just in my community. But uh, it's pioneered a whole bunch of companies saying, oh, well, let's do red light therapy. In fact, my circadian rhythm company, True Dark, has some glasses or has some some light therapy stuff like that. It's part of our product line. And what you do with red light therapy is you put red lights, red LED lights in very specific wavelengths over different parts of the body that are injured or parts you want to age differently or you just want to feel better. And it causes your collagen to get thicker. It causes you to have more electrons and better blood flow in your skin. And this has been studied for 
25 years. And at the very dawn of consumer light therapy stuff, um, Jesus must have been on like long, longevity. This is a website um, for people who are in, interested in very long immortality. I started talking about this, and you know, there's a few old posts from 20 years ago. But you can increase blood flow in your brain with this stuff. So now at Upgrade Labs, we have these big beds you lay on uh, called the Red Charger, and you feel radically different when you do this. So we have you know, celebrities at the Beverly Hilton, where one of our locations is, who come in and do this on a regular basis because they notice that they don't have wrinkles when they do it and they feel really good and that works. And there's cryotherapy, uh, which was very fringy when I started writing about it uh, towards the beginning of the blog. I have a liquid nitrogen tank downstairs. We offer it in, in LA and here high intensity interval training, red light therapy, fasting, and some of the exercise techniques that we do there, either with the electricity or with a, a load that exceeds what gravity could really do. Uh, all of them have something in common, and it's the slope of the curve. What that means is that your body, it, it hates steady state anything. So if you want to get really strong from a cardiovascular perspective, I just did an interview on, on Bulletproof Radio with an exercise a scientist at the University of Colorado. And he showed very conclusively that two 20-second high-intensity intervals over seven minutes outperformed 45 minutes of, high, of, of steady state cardio. In other words, seven minutes of slow exercise with two brief spikes followed by a rest as soon as you could was superior to what most people do today. And if you look at the ROI on your time, do you want to spend seven minutes and get better results or 45 minutes and get subpar results? So in order to do that, you need some tech. In that case, it's a, a certain kind of exercise bike that's driven by AI. And when it comes to lifting weights, well, that's how cavemen did it. But it turns out you can do things with a computer guiding the load on your muscles. And you can put muscle on three times as fast. And when it comes to cold, well, you could sit in, a, in an ice bath. And certainly I've done a lot of ice bath, like the Wim Hof kind of stuff um, I was into about eight years ago. Uh, before I decided I'd rather do three minutes of cryo versus 20 minutes of an ice bath, plus ice baths are messy. Mm -hmm. um, what you do is, uh, in that case, you, you tell the body an ice age might be coming. So if you can't make heat really quickly, then you need to replace those parts of your cells that can't do it. So with exercise, it's how fast can you run away from a threat and then calm down? That's the measure. With cold, how fast can you make your metabolism heat you up like, in, like a furnace and then cool you back down? And then with food, it's, how do you run with no food and how do you run with food? And all of these things are, it's the slope of the curve. Can you turn it on quickly? And if you can turn it on quickly, you will live longer. And you can do it with light. You can do it with almost any stimulus on the body. So this old idea of grinding it out, screw that noise. And let's switch back to entrepreneur mind mode. So Great. when it comes to turning it on quickly for creativity, for intuition, for the kind of stuff that lets me uh, do what I do with information, that's not a steady grind. I, I will be the first person to admit that I have worked probably more than I should have, especially when I was younger. Uh, and I still work really hard and, and I'm structured with my time and all that. But you have to structure time to not think because if you try to think all the time, your ROI per minute of thinking goes down dramatically. So having 10 minutes at the end of a call or even a few minutes to just sit and do nothing is shown to make your brain work better. Wow, what a great, what a great piece of advice in these Zoom times. I, I finally asked my EM, like, can you just make my, minute, my meetings 50 minutes? 
you just get tired of looking at a screen all day. And so I make my meetings 50 minutes. So I have 10 minutes to consolidate the meeting in my brain before I move on. But for entrepreneurs, just the slope of the curve. You want to have like a crazy intense thing. That means you probably have to tell someone else to do something you don't really like so that you can just stop and then go and then stop and then go. And if you can schedule your days, your life, your weeks like that, you'll be a better entrepreneur. And it starts it's subcellular biology and works all the way up into the way you structure your day. The rules are the same. They always are the same. So you are applying what you see at a cellular level and what you think contributes to recovery and high performance to literally the way you schedule your day. You know, the, there's a a book in the the trans uh, transpersonal psychology world called the holo the holotropic universe this is from stan groff uh, the guy who used lsd on lots and lots of patients as a licensed uh, uh, psychiatrist before lsd was illegal he invented a kind of uh, breathing exercise called holotropic breathing that you can do instead of using lsd and uh, you do it for therapeutic healing purposes and his theory and those of many others that the universe is holographic you can, we could argue about that all day long, and I will tell you I'm not really sure. But what I do know is that the patterns that happen inside our cells are echoed in a holographic form, in a fractal form throughout your body. So what works inside the cell is what's happening in the cluster of cells is what's happening in the behaviors you have in the world around you. Uh, and it, it is very predictable. There's an algorithm that all life follows that we follow as well because we're alive. That algorithm came into my awareness after writing Headstrong and looking at the behavior of life and explaining why do we act the way we do. A lot of this comes down to very basic survival mechanisms amplified over time through through complex systems. But what that means is you could say, wow, I really want to dive into that rabbit hole. Or you could just say, okay, what that means is that for me to function, how quickly can I turn on a state that I want and then switch to another state, and how much recovery time do I need afterwards? The implications of that are profound. If you want to have the most creative possible day you could have and you do a brainstorming thing, maybe the way you slept the night before, maybe the amount of recovery you had before or the recovery you have afterwards is the variable you need. Because what we want to do as humans is we want to just push, grind. Uh, I can work harder, I can work longer, and God knows I've done that. You can burn the candle at both ends and in the middle, and if I just stay up another hour, I can get this done. And there's a time for that, but the time for that is rarely followed by recovery. And what I didn't know when I was a young entrepreneur, and Jeff, I made six million bucks when I was 26. I lost it when I was 28, but I was successful when I was young that way. It just sucks, and it's unnecessary, and it's not as good. So I, I do want to know that, like, you now are on the other side of of running and operating the business. You, you know, have the Webster's Dictionary term that, you know, you searched for and then found. So where are you going to lean into from here? Well, I'm working really hard on circadian biology, and I'm working really hard on neuroscience. So my company, 40 Years of Zen, has had a lot of people come through. It's a five-day intensive program. I've been doing neuroscience EEG-based feedback to show the brain what it's doing so it can be more effective, more efficient, raise, raise your IQ, uh, reduce distractions in your life, and reach the states that it normally takes years of living in a cave to reach. They're quantifiable states, and you can teach a brain to do that in about five days. 
So I opened a facility to do this a few years ago, and we've been working on custom hardware and custom software, not for fixing broken brains, but for taking good brains and making them amazing and taking superhuman brains and making them into X-Men brains, to be perfectly honest. And different people come in with different characteristics. They're predictable from what we can get off of brain data now. So I'm really into 40 years of Zen and looking at how do I make that so that everyone on the planet has a brain that's tuned to be who they want to be. And that's a big mission. And then my company, True Dark, has uh, some patents that I wrote on changing the color of light that goes into your eyes to control the quality of your sleep. And the glasses I make for that have fixed my jet lag. They, they change brain waves after you wear them for a few minutes. And then some, some really, uh, really magic stuff happens from that. And we're looking at fixing the junk light problem in the world. LED bulbs are amazing. The problem is they're also like Twinkies. They're junk food uh, for our eyes. And there's a way to fix that. So we've got some amazing new partnerships coming on that. So I just want to fix the world around us to make us function better. Well, Dave, thank you again. This has been a great interview. DaveAsprey.com, all of the different books and podcasts. You, you can find Dave if you want to learn more. Thanks again for being on the podcast and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Appreciate the interview. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.